Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. I hope I can be heard. Rabbi Tony, can you nod your head if I can be heard? And I can be heard clearly? Okay, good. I see someone with their thumbs up. Is that rant? Shabbat Shalom. A colleague of mine recently told me a story that was both troubling and also oddly familiar at the same time. Because versions of it happen all the time in the rabbinate and in the Jewish world and in the world at large. It has to do with partial truths and caricatures and our squeamishness about probing deep into issues and probing deep into ourselves and into others, preferring to stay and surf on a very convenient surface. This colleague is facing pressure to make a religious change in his synagogue. The colleague has held the status quo until now, and where I will add some very good and reasonable and traditional and halakhic reasons. He's not being obstinate for obstinacy's sake. He believes that the status quo is the right religious option, as do many conservative rabbis. Now recently, before COVID hit and distanced us all, making the type of situation I'm about to describe virtually impossible, he walked to shul one day for services. And in the corner of the room, a group of his congregants was whispering clearly about the issue and clearly about my colleague. And like a bunch of sixth graders, when a teacher walks in in the room, they got instantly quiet when he showed up. That very guilty kind of quiet that suggests that the noise that came before was not particularly generous or defensible. A few moments later, as my colleague readied himself for davening, the whispering started up again, so much so that my colleague could hear bits and pieces of what they were saying. Middle school, all over again. One of the primary and loudest whisperers was someone that my colleague had spoken to already, directly, at length, about this very issue. They had exchanged ideas. And even though my colleague had a sense that this person was not convinced, and was still pushing for the change, he felt that the guy had listened and taken seriously his stance. But the content of the whispers belied that, because it seemed clear that what had been shared in the one-on-one exchange was being used at best as a straw man to easily topple over. After the service, my colleague approached this ringleader and said something like this. I know that this is an important and delicate issue. You and I have talked about it quite a lot. I don't like the feeling of people whispering about it and about me as I walk in the room. But I'm always open to talking about it again. So let's talk. The congregant was properly chastened, and they talked more, and they deepened their understanding of the other's position. They talk and they try to listen, not to convince the other to change their mind, but rather to share and understand a fuller portion of truth. That was months ago. 
A few days ago, my colleague got a letter from his congressman. Most of it addressed my colleague's recent words and actions in response to the racial justice work going on right now in our country. The letter said how much this congregant appreciated what the shul was doing and what my colleague was saying. And the letter included an apology and a recognition for how easily and conveniently and self-righteously he had mischaracterized my colleague on the other issue. How easy it is to create straw men just to knock down. And how good it feels in the moment to reduce complexities to a cardboard caricature that is so flimsy, so two-dimensional, so flat, that it sort of warrants being whispered about. The letter spoke about how this congregant used to get quite angry about so many people and so many things in his life and online. His response would be to type out an angry email screed and to enjoy the endorphin burst that comes with a momentary venting. And now, after this series of encounters, he has vowed to sleep on it. And then he wakes up. He realizes the situation is more complicated. He realizes there is a truer version of the person he had characterized and a truer, deeper version of the issue at hand. And in the process, he noted, with some remarkable honesty and self-reflection, he has realized something truer about himself, something blocked by the thin veneer of his righteous indignation. By avoiding the urge to name all those he disagrees with as abjectly wrong, Neanderthal, intransigent, unevolved, he has found different and previously unseen contours of his own thinking on important issues seeing that he, too, has a more well-rounded approach, one which defies characterization. He never thought of himself as a liar, he wrote. But now he realized he had more work to do to expose and be truly curious about the truth. It's an amazing story if you ask me, because these realizations and shifts happen so infrequently these days. And they are critical in maintaining the fabric of relationships, of society, of community, and of truth itself. As I mentioned briefly in my Shabbat video yesterday, the relationship between lying and true truthfulness is not as simple as it may seem. The Kutzker Rebbe, Rebbe Menachem Mendel of Kutz, points out that one can avoid the former lying and yet still be unwittingly sinning by not sufficiently pursuing the latter, truthfulness. He comments about this with respect to the seemingly truthy report that all 12 scouts bring back about the land of Canaan before they divide into groups of 10 naysayers and two brave optimists. As a group, they declare that the land is flowing with milk and honey. That's good. And here is the truth. That's good. And the people there are mighty and live in fortified cities. That's most likely true. And so while we can understand why the outliers, Joshua and Caleb, are celebrated for their faith against those odds, what exactly does God hold against the other ten for essentially reporting what they indeed witnessed? Did they lie? 
It seems not. But the Kutsker point pushes us to consider something that we like pushing to the recesses of our consciousness, because it's so much easier that way. Avoiding lying is not the same thing as pursuing truth. Staying away from prevarication is a necessary but not sufficient component of the life of truth. The ten scouts can honestly say to one another and to Moshe and to God and to themselves, we didn't lie. And that would be true. But still, they were sinners. The sin lay in the gap between avoiding a direct falsehood and pursuing the truth of that land that God wanted them to see and to believe and to help bring about. They toured the land they rendered it as a non-false, two-dimensional, cardboard character. Milk, honey, fruit, danger. They ticked off their box, a job minimally fulfilled, onto something else. They avoided digging deeper into the possibility that the first thing they saw was not the only thing to see. They refrained from experiencing the land in all its complexity. And so they reported a simple, non-false report that was only marginally closer to truth than saying nothing would have been. And that stance, that very common stance, is labeled by the Kutzka Rebbe and perhaps by God in the Torah as sinful. Certainly not the pinnacle of what it means to live out, pursue, and explore truth. Resting on partial truths help us feel mighty and righteous and justified. We can still look in the mirror and say to ourselves and about ourselves, I wasn't lying. Those things I was whispering about you at whispering about you at Minion Rabbi, I challenge you to find one falsehood there. But is that our highest aspiration in life? In my Shabbat video I reference how this plays out as we take stances on complex issues of the day. I'm confident that most of us, hopefully all of us, can look in the mirror and say, without lying, I'm not a racist. I make no assessment of character or judgment on how I am to treat someone based on their race or color or ethnicity. I hope so. And yet this American moment, this justice moment, is asking for us to go at least one step further, past the partial truth of our merrily and proudly not contributing to racism, to the deeper truth of our place in our voices, our bodies, and our very lives as footstones in the pathway that is going to lead this nation beyond racism. Have we all done that yet enough? We listen to the stories and narratives and pains of the other, all sorts of others, as we live out our empathic lives. And so we can say without lying, I have heard you. But does a deeper pursuit of truth ask of us to listen longer, past the point of discomfort, beyond the veil that separates between tolerating a passive rejection of an odious racism and an activism of the soul that roots it out wherever we are witness to it. 
I'm on this very journey with you as I explore my own commitments and failures and convenient assumptions and self-preservational, willful ignorance that allows me to go about my day and my week and my life without carrying the truly overwhelming burden of our nation's racial underpinnings and the aftermath of slavery and Jim Crow and a society not yet as equal as our founding documents demand us to be. If we want not only to not to lie about our principles, but transcend the sin that the Kutzker's words accuse us all of in some way, we must work significantly harder towards knowing the full truth and then acting accordingly. Outside the headlines, this dynamic is ubiquitous, and we're so used to it, we barely notice. I was offering counsel to a Beth Ahn member this week, helping think through a deviously complex situation. And deep into the conversation, you ever listen to yourself while you're talking? After considering the issue from all angles, I found myself hearing myself, I, a non-lying, truth-seeking rabbi, suggesting a path forward that involves telling a white lie, or at least unknowingly only partial truth. We both mentioned this as less than ideal, and we both testified to ourselves and to the other the rationale. We swept away a deeper truth in order to get comfortable with an easier solution and hopefully make the problem go away. Upon reflection a few days later, I still think, in context, the judgment call was justified. I can sleep at night with it. But what would the cuts to Rebbe think? It might have been sinful. We Jews don't always like to talk about sin. Aside from rhythmic chest beating during the Al-Qaeda and Yom Kippur, we comfortably consider sin to be a Christian notion, not a Jewish notion. As long as we're trying and vying in our evolving relationship with God and we devote goodness, it's good, good enough. I support that on some level, an over-focus on sin leads to guilt and self-flagellation with respect to ourselves and an eagerness to point out the sinfulness of others. I do indeed prefer the paradigm of mitzvah, of commandments we are aspiring to, rather than the endless counting of our transgressions. And still, I appreciate the unvarnished jolt of this Hasidic master, using the Torah's judgment of the ten spies as a needed, though unbidden, critique of our sometimes overly harem goodness, our unduly banal righteousness, our comfortably comfortable curiosity about only the truths that make us feel good about being who we already are. There's sinfulness in that stance, and there is merit to transcending it. With the people that we love and the people we can't stand, let us break the idols of caricatures and investigate a more three-dimensional truth. With the causes we support, let us dive deeper than the easiest mitzvah to the ones that require sacrifice and change and courage. With the stories that we tell, the counsel we give, the reports we report, 
Let us do more than avoiding the lie. Let us aim for a truer truth in order to live a more vital life. Contribute to more lively and just society. And thus seek to be truly seen and truly known and truly loved by the Holy One. Adonai Amen. The God of truth. Shabbat Shalom. Look at that. I don't get a whole lot of applause to my service. That was good. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.